Oh, the Lord. So this is going to be our last one of these ministries, one of the ministry series that we've been talking about. Um, we're going to talk tonight about the ministry of reconciliation, which just sounds really fancy, but it's pretty simple. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to first. Sorry, start over. We're going to go to Second Corinthians, chapter five, verse eleven to twenty-one. <clears throat> And we'll probably, even you can keep it there if you want. We're going to be all over the place. We're going to be back there more often than not. Second um, Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 11. says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Verse 12. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that you may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance, but not in heart. Verse 13. But whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, and whether we be sober, it is for your cause. 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead, and that he died for all, that they which... Live should not then henceforth, oh my word, I can't read. Henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore henceforth know we know man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Henceforth is all the rage. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, and all old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. Verse 21. For he hath made us... For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. It's a lot easier to read sometimes when it's not allowed. <laughs> I was trying to go slow and then I got all more tangled up. <clears throat> so the ministry of reconciliation, we'll, we'll go through it, but this is, this is where we're coming from. Um, the definition of reconciliation is... The effective resolution of conflict between those who were alienated and in opposition with one another. So two people or two groups that were, something came between them. Funny you bring that up. An example I was going to mention was marriage counseling. Um, so sometimes in a, a marriage, there are deep issues um, kind of cause a bitterness between <laughs> a husband and wife, and it brings them to almost you know this point of no return, um, and um, almost you know some people separate, some people become you know divorced. Um, but those who seek counsel in order to get over this bitterness or this divide that's happened, whether it was an action or something, whatever. Um, both sides need to be willing to confront the issues 
that have produced the conflict in order to be any sort of reconciliation. Um, so when the right steps are taken, the cause of conflict is removed and you can live in harmony again. A lot of times we like to deal with the symptoms and not the real issue. Right, right. Right? Um, we had uh, a lady that was quite upset with us about something. Um, we had to go to the pastor to deal with it, which was exciting. Good times. But in, in the meeting, one of the things the pastor um, said was, you know, what is the real issue? Right. They just kept bringing up things that I had said or whatever. It was like, what is the real issue? I don't care what anybody said. I don't care what is the real issue. What is the real issue? And every time I tried to bring it back to something on the surface, he just kept saying, what is the real issue? And so until we can deal with the real issue, right. you know, it's not going to be fixed. Right. You can, you know, in a marriage, you know, if there's a deep hurt and we just, you know, complain and fight over the little things like, oh, we leave the socks on the floor. That's not the real issue. The real issue is something else. Right, right. Right. So, so if we deal with the real issue, that's how reconciliation happens. Right. So we're going to talk about the spiritual side. And the real issue is obviously sin is what divides us from God. It's not, yeah. you know, one little thing or one, you know, it's the real issue is, is sin. So in the Bible, when we talk about reconciliation, it has more to do with, with sin and the divide that sin has caused between, between us and God. And sin makes us enemies or adversaries and just makes us against God naturally through sin. And Paul said in Romans 8 and 7, he says, The carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So because, you know, the way our mind is, our sinful mind, you know, we're against God and we, we don't, you know, we don't follow the law. We're having a Bible study, we talk about the law, they couldn't do it. Right. Hung in the law and told them everything, laid it out plain and simple, all the things you need to do, they still couldn't do it. Because of their carnal mind, because of the sinful, um, sinful nature that we have. And... <clears throat> So through sin, we're not just separated from God, but we're alienated from Him. We're completely um, cut off. Um, we were enemies of God because of sin. And we're not subject to His law, and there was nothing we could do to fix the problem. You know, there was not something that we could deal with, fix it. Only God could fix the situation. Only God could reconcile us with Him. Because the root issue was sin. And us, we cannot deal with that. That's up to God. It's something God has to deal with. We can do the surface things. We can try to obey the law, but the root issue is, is the sin. And if we don't deal, and if God doesn't deal with that, if we don't let Him deal with that, then we can't be fully reconciled. If that makes sense, I hope it does. <clears throat> so the plan of God through the sacrifice of Calvary was necessary to do this. To, to remedy sin, to reconcile us with, with God. And through the cross, through the sacrifice of Jesus, through the blood of Jesus, we can be reconciled. In Colossians 1, verse 20 to 22, it says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether there be things in earth or things in heaven. And you, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind, by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. 
and in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. So through sin, we were you know, alienated from God. We were cut off. We were separated from God. And through Jesus, through the cross, through his blood, we can be reconciled and we can be reunited and that root issue can be dealt with. So Jesus gives us hope for our reconciliation, being brought back, to be put back where we're supposed to be, and brought back through um, his righteousness and his sacrifice. Jesus paid the price. Amen. And you know, we have to acknowledge our sins, and we have to accept his redemption um, in order to be released from this. We have to, you know, we have to be saved. You know, we have to deal with it also, but Jesus made the way for it um, to happen. So Jesus, while he was on earth, and still today, he had a ministry of reconciliation. That was the whole purpose of Jesus coming. That's the whole reason why he came, was to deal with sin and to reconcile man and God back together. His desire was to restore a relationship with humanity and the relationship, the relationship that had been destroyed by sin in the Garden of Eden. Paul said in Romans 5 and 12, he said, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. You know, Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and because of that, we know we all sinned. There's not one person here that can say you never did, or you're lying, and that itself is a sin. So, <laughs> so because of this, we come under the, the penalty of of sin, and we're condemned um, to face judgment by by disobedience because we're we're not obeying that that root issue of sin. You know, has caused us to to disobey God. And Romans five and fourteen says, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is a figure of him that was to come. Even though we didn't sin the same way that Adam sinned, we weren't eaten from a tree. That we weren't supposed to, even though we didn't do it the same way, we still sinned. And from Adam to Moses, and even, you know, it's just been going on. This, this reign of, of death and sin has, you know, taken over the world. And even though we didn't sin the same way, his sin affected us. And because of that, we all, we all have sinned and we've all failed and we've all fallen short. Romans 3, 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This is a lovely, positive message. But God wasn't going to allow sin to destroy his creation. He set in plan a motion. He set a motion. Sorry, one more time. He set a plan in motion. I had it right the first time. That would provide this reconciliation. And the incarnation provided a remedy for sin, the atonement, a payment for the transgression and reconciliation. He brought us back into relationship with him. He came to us, God in the flesh, to bring us back to him, to right standing with him. Romans 5 and 18 says, Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. So when one man sinned, everybody was condemned. But through another, we have this free gift of salvation, justification of life through Jesus. God reconciled us unto himself. God's love for us was shown in the fact that he died for us while we were still in our sins. No. 
lot of people will die for somebody that's good. You know. But to die for somebody that is a sinner, somebody that's disobeyed everything you ever said, you know, that's pretty incredible, the Bible says. God's love for us was shown in the fact that he died for us while we were still in our sins, not because we were doing everything right, but because he loved us. And the very thing that caused us to be separated from him, the sin, is what Jesus came to fix. Jesus himself never sinned. He's the only human that could make that claim. He's the only one that could say that. And yet he took on all of our sins. He took on the blame of our, our sins. He took the penalty for our sins. He took the condemnation for our sins. And he suffered the judgment that should have been put on us. And he suffered it as though he were guilty of these sins himself. As he was guilty of all the sins put together. He took that on himself. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So through this, we can be redeemed. Jesus knew no sin, but he became the sin offering that we might have, we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The New Living says um, this for that verse. It says, For God made Christ who never sinned be the offering for our sin, so that we can be made right with God through Christ. So Jesus made a way for us to be reconciled. Jesus made a way for us to be brought back to him. And the gospel is the good news for all of us. It's literally what it means. Jesus died and was buried and rose again victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And he is alive forevermore. And this is the central message of the church. This is what everything we do is built on. This is the most important thing that we can have. This is a, the main thing. This is the, the life of the gospel, the, the essence of the gospel. That's what it is. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. And he didn't do that for his own benefit. He didn't do it for something fun to do. You know, he did it for us. He did it for the salvation of all people. He did it to reconcile and bring us back, to deal with that root Issue to deal with that sin, not the surface stuff, but the actual, the root of the problem. Romans 1 and 16 says, For it is the power of God unto salvation, the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It is this. Um, this gospel that Jesus provided for the, the reconciliation between sinful humanity and a holy God. It was the only way, sorry, to bring us back. I know I've said reconciliation a lot, but I'll probably say it a few more times. Mm-hmm. Romans 5, verse 7 to 11 says, For scarcely for a righteous man will die. That's what I was saying earlier. For scarcely for a right." This man will die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us, that, or in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life. And not only so... We also join God through the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we 
have now received the atonement. So reconciliation doesn't demand that we pay the price for, for the sins. That's what the law said, you know. If you do this, you have to do that. There's a price to pay. But reconciliation, Jesus paid the price. There's nothing that we can do to pay the price. Um, there's nothing we can do to make up for our wrongdoing. There's nothing we can do to make up for 40, 50 years of, of living in sin. There's nothing we can do to make up for this. God, God doesn't require that of us. He paid the price himself. He took that responsibility on himself. There's nothing you can... I know some people, I think, would prefer it that way. So they didn't have to rely on God. But there's nothing that we can do to reconcile us to God. There's nothing we can do to deal with the root of sin except through Jesus. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 5 and 19 says, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. So he was, through Jesus, he reconciled the world unto himself. And not holding us accountable anymore. When we become reconciled, he takes that sin. He takes that penalty of sin. In the same way that Adam introduced sin to the world, Jesus provided a ransom for sin here. He paid the price for sin. Romans 5.19 says, By the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. We're all made sinners by one man. By the obedience of one, many are saved, made righteous. So the price has been paid by Jesus. Jesus paid the price, the, made the payment for the debt of sin, and through his blood purchased the redemption and paid the ransom for our sin. And Paul said in 1 Timothy 2, 5-6, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. So he gave himself to pay this price. You know, a ransom. The only way the person's going to get set free is if somebody comes up with a million dollars or whatever, whatever they're asking for. Right? Mm-hmm. So the only way we're set free from sin is Jesus gave himself for that ransom. <clears throat> Those who surrender to the calling of Jesus will find new life in him. Second Corinthians 5. Um, 17 to 18, I've already read, I believe. Paul said, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. All things, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. So when we come to him, he makes us new. Our old life is gone. We have a new life, a new hope, a new future through, through him. It's God's pleasure to clothe his creation in righteousness. He wants to cover us with his, his righteousness. And the Bible says he takes garments that are spotted um, by sin, by the flesh, and he gives us you know, new robes. Though you know, your sins be as scarlet, you're washed white as snow. He takes the stain that sin has put on our lives and he washes us clean. <clears throat> in... Um, Luke chapter 4, Jesus was reading from the book of Isaiah in the synagogue. And he said, where it says, he hath anointed me to preach the gospel. He said that's what, you know, that's what he was come to do, to preach the gospel, which was the good news. That he was coming to redeem and reconcile us. In Isaiah 61 and 10, 
the same chapter that Jesus was quoting from. Um, it says, He hath clothed me with the garments of salvation, for he hath covered me with a robe. He hath covered me with a robe of righteousness. When we become saved, we become a new creature, we look different, we act different, we walk different, we, you know, everything changes and brings us unto Him. Um, okay. So that's what Jesus did for us. That's the reconciliation that Jesus, um, that's Jesus' ministry of reconciliation. And God has um, asked us to do this. Also, to carry this on. He has committed us to this ministry. Um, the ministry of Jesus became the ministry of all the believers. In Matthew 28, 19. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Jesus lived with these guys for three and a half years. He taught them. He made them disciples. And he said, okay, everything I've done, I want you to do with someone else. I want you to go and I want you to make Disciples, Whatever I've done, I want you to do. And he gives them this responsibility of repeating kind of what he did. And he made them disciples. He told them all to go make disciples like he did. The ministry of reconciliation that Jesus um, gave. He reconciled us. And that should cause us to try to reach others with the same, same message. It was God who reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and had given us the ministry of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5 and 18. So God did that for us, and he wants us to not save others, but lead them to him. Amen. <clears throat> We're in the business of ushering those who have been alienated or separated from God through sin to a place where they may find peace in his presence and may be reconciled back to him as the gentiles um, in ephesians 2 verse 12 to 13 the gentiles were without christ they were strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without god in the world but now in jesus christ ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of christ jesus made peace with the jew and the gentile up till now the, the gentiles are basically clueless to anything about god they're just kind of did their own thing. They had their own gods. Their own. They had very little knowledge about um, you know, the God of the Israelites or the, the Hebrews. They had very little knowledge about about Him. They were strangers of the covenants of promise. They didn't know about Moses. They didn't know about Abraham. They didn't know about all these things. They didn't have any hope. But now through Jesus, they are they're brought together, equal as these other guys that have been following. It's God for a long time. Jesus made peace for both Jews and Gentiles. And um, they didn't always get along, Jews and Gentiles, in the old days. No, it's hard to believe not getting along with people that don't think like you or act like you. But it was through, through Jesus, in Ephesians 2 and 16, that he might reconcile both under God and one body by the cross. So it was through Jesus, through the cross, through the, the, the ministry of reconciliation that the Jews and the Gentiles, the Samaritans, and all these people that normally wouldn't be friends, normally wouldn't get along, they're all brought together, they're all reconciled together. Because the root issue wasn't whether they were a Jew or a Gentile or a Samaritan 
or a Roman. The root issue was sin, and once that was dealt with, they're all reconciled together. That's one of the most beautiful things about the church, is that it brings people from all different walks of life, from all different um, pay grades, jobs, educations, different cultures, different languages, all this stuff. It brings us from all these different backgrounds. It puts us together. It reconciles us together. We're all equal because of Jesus. The first time I went to France, I was 19, I think. It was a long time ago. <laughs> 18 or 19. Um, it was my first time really being out of North America. It was my first time being in a service that wasn't in English. Right? And it was in um, Chateau La Roe where the Longs are now. And I was actually with Mike. Um, but at that time, the church was just in some ladies' living room. And I walk in, and they all started kissing me because they're French, and I didn't see it coming. I was terrified, even though they kissed on the cheeks. And I was like, what's going on? <laughs> Freaked me right out. That was different. But then, as soon as the worship started, um, I knew some of the songs in English. They gave us songbooks. I could read a little bit of French, you know, just from high school. And I tried to sing along as best as I could. And as I did that, this, the presence of God just fell in a place, just like it would have, you know, in St. John growing up or in a youth group or wherever I had been. And here we are in the middle of nowhere, some place I couldn't even pronounce or remember how to spell some old French lady's living room that are making me uncomfortable by kissing me. And here we are, and the presence of God was there just the same as it would have been somewhere else. And it just kind of blew my mind. No, that God is, I, you know, you know it, but when you experience that God is the same there right. as everywhere else, you know, and we've been, been to a couple other places now, but it doesn't matter where we go, you know, when you go and you worship with people, you know, we've all been reconciled together through Jesus, and you worship with them, it doesn't matter what you look like, it doesn't matter if you speak the same language, God is there and brings everybody together, and it's one of those incredible things. Now you can go to Ghana, you can go to Benin, you can go to Ontario, Maine, Texas, Mexico, Philippines, New Zealand. Wherever you go, in Peru, you can go to all these different places. Yes. You know, God is there just the same, and it's amazing yes. to worship with people like that. Yes. The same God that you're worshiping. I know, I know doctors, lawyers, people that run oil refineries, um, NFL players. Unemployed people, people who work at McDonald's, janitors, construction workers, chefs, accountants, professors, yes. handicapped, learning disabled, all different, you know, whatever, diff just different people. Yeah. And through that all, or through Jesus, we all worship together and we all are brought together. And that is a beautiful thing. Yes. And that's what happened in the Bible with the Jews and the Greeks. And they didn't get along, but once they all, you know, once they... We're reconciled with Jesus. It didn't matter anymore. That's right. That's part of what the church is about. It's beautiful. We're all one body. Yes. Right. Yes. It's a little sidetrack, but. Yes. Thank you. But back to sin. <laughs> sin is still serious, and <clears throat> just because Jesus purchased our salvation and He bridged the gap, 
separating us from God, the consequences of sin are still real. They're still serious. And if we continue to live in sin and we continue to disobey God and we continue to reject His grace, there's going to be an awful result and that happens because of it. The judgment will be devastating for those that have um, ignored the gospel and did their own thing. And as though Jesus had never come and His death and the cross didn't matter. And the knowledge of this should drive us to give ourselves to try to reach one more person. Yes. To give us, or should um, propel us to obey the commission and make disciples and try to right. get one more out of the fire. Reach one more. Right. To bring others to Christ. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 and 3, If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. If we just keep it all to ourselves, we're not hurting anybody but people that are lost, but people that need to be reconciled. As long as one soul remains, there should be some sort of urgency to communicate with, with them. For the gospel is the good news and it must be shared with the people of the world. And Jesus tells us to communicate the message with as many people as possible. The message that we've received, the gospel is meant to be shared. Yes. And its its content is more incredible and greater than any social media post or viral video or cats doing something adorable or whatever the newest video that everyone's sharing. It's more important to that. It's bigger than that. And, you know, this good news needs to be shared. You know, whether people like it, whether, whatever, it needs to be shared. And Jesus provides access to God. He's a doorway to achieving peace with Him and entrance into everlasting life. And... <clears throat> Um, the new birth experience is a result of sacrifice and um, the product of his plan for reconciliation. So God has given us this, this gift, this ministry to reconcile, to lead people to him. And that's what this last lesson is supposed to be about. Leading people to him. That is our, our, our job, is our, our goal, it should be our, our duty should be what we want to do, what we desire to do. <clears throat> if, the, if the gospel is the good news, and it's a message that needs to be shared, Amen. the only way it's going to be shared is if somebody shares it. Right. The only way it's going to be shared is if it's communicated. Yeah. Right. And if nobody does it, then it'll be hid. Like, like Paul said, it'll be hid from those that are lost. So it's our job as disciples to go make disciples and to share it with the next generation or you know, our neighbors or whoever. <clears throat> Jesus still says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Mark 16 and 15 says that. Um, the apostles, there's a few of them that 
We'll talk about that had this ministry of reconciliation. Philip, we've talked about him a few times. Um, he was used to bring others, um, used to lead others to Jesus, to bring others to, to Jesus. And John 1 and 45, as soon as Philip starts, you know, it's the first time we hear about him, John 1 and 45, it says, um, we have found him who Moses, of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Jesus comes and he calls Philip. And the first thing Philip does is he goes and finds this guy, Nathaniel. And he's like, come on, you got to follow. We found the guy. We found the Messiah. You got to come follow. And the first thing Philip does, he doesn't even know anything about the good news yet. All he knows is he just met Jesus. And the first thing he does is bring somebody else to him, which is pretty awesome. Just he's only been a disciple for a few minutes, and he's already bringing somebody else to him. And um, the Pharisees they try to prevent Jesus's teaching from spreading. And in John twelve and nineteen, they said, "Behold, the whole world has gone after him. Everybody was following after after Jesus." <clears throat> um, there were a a group of Greeks um, who were what we call proselytes to the Jewish faith. So they weren't born Jews, but they were Greeks and they were practicing um, Jewish religion. They'd come in contact with it somewhere and they decided that's what they wanted to believe. So they were um, following that. They believed the same as the Jews, but they weren't Jewish by birth or anything. Um, they came up to a feast to worship and they asked Philip to, if they could come see Jesus. And he worked, um, worked with Jesus on that. So this guy, through his whole life, he's always, you know, leading people to Jesus. And, you know, in the New Testament, um, Philip went down to Samaria and preached Christ to them in Acts 8 and 5. And, Hallelujah. and then Peter and John came. He baptized them. Philip baptized them. Peter and John came, prayed for them. They received the Holy Ghost. And then he went to um, in the middle of nowhere, met the Ethiopian eunuch, Amen. baptized him. And then... Yes was whisked away somewhere else. You know, Philip was always working and bringing people to Jesus. As soon as, as soon as he met Jesus, the first thing he did was that. And then there's Peter. Peter was one of the most outspoken of the disciples, chosen for leadership among the 12. I don't know if it's because he was the loudest, maybe. But he was the boldest, for sure. Um, but Peter, he, you know, he was always... Just jump in the gun. He was always ready to go. He was always, you know. Um, Jesus said, who do men say that I say that I am? And they started saying all the rumors. And he's like, who do you say that I am? And Peter's like, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. He just jumps in there. And, ah, I'm not even going to. The rest of them are like, oh, let's see. Is this a trick question? And Peter's like, I got this. <laughs> Peter's the one that just, oh, I'm going to walk in the water. And then, oh, Jesus is there. I'm going to jump overboard and swim. Peter's is always... They're ready to go. I don't know. But he used, um, when he said that to Jesus, and he said, you are the, um, the Messiah, the, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, in Matthew 16. Um, Jesus said to him, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So Peter used this authority that Jesus gave him. And um, on the day of Pentecost, he preached the first message of the church. Um, <clears throat> The crowd was amazed when people were speaking in tongues and they were kind of making fun of him and said, well, they must be drunk because I've never seen anything like this. So obviously, that's what we say. You know, we still do that. Well, they're acting crazy. must be drunk. Like, 
That's always the go-to. I don't know why. Even my mother will say to my children, Oh, you're drunk? Because they're stumbling. Like, obviously not. <laughs> but that's just the, the go-to thing. And I guess that was 2,000 years ago they were doing that too. And like, oh, they must be drunk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Peter gets up and he starts preaching and he tells them that, no, they're not drunk as you suppose. This is what Joel prophesied about. This is what's happening. God said, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. So he starts um, preaching to them. And as he preaches, they get hit with conviction in verse Acts 2, 36, sorry, 37. They say, what shall we do? Like, what do we, what do we do? What do we do with this? And Peter says, you know, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And Peter's message to the Jews was a message of reconciliation. He preached to them. He told them all, all about Jesus, everything that happened, and and then he told them how to be reconciled. Yes, <clears throat> he told them that Jesus wasn't risen from the dead to um, get vengeance on them. <laughs> right? Right. He didn't come back. Wasn't resurrected to get, get them back. Right? He came back. He was resurrected to give um, power to the gospel <clears throat> and to bring them back to him. Reconciliation. And Peter said in Acts 2 and 39, The promise is unto you and to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So Peter, this is for everybody. This is for everybody. And then Peter is the one that goes, um, you know, to the, the Samaritans. Philip baptized them. Peter and John go. And they pray for them. They receive the Holy Ghost. So the Samaritans are half Jews. So we got the Jews. They're now through Peter's ministry, have been reconciled. Now we have the Samaritans through Peter's ministry that are reconciled. And then the Gentiles, we know know God moves on Cornelius and he calls for Peter and God talks to Peter at the same time. Peter goes to his house. His whole family gets saved through Peter's ministry also. So now we got the, the Jews and the Samaritans and the Gentiles all reconciled through the ministry of Peter, which is pretty awesome. So when Peter's preaching to Cornelius and his family, they received the Holy Ghost and began to speak in tongues. And then Acts 10 and 48, Peter commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. So make sure we got it all done. Then there was Ananias that we've talked about where um, <clears throat> Saul, you know, persecuting the church. God speaks to him in a vision, sends Ananias to pray for him and lead him to the church. Pray for him and get him saved. If it wasn't for Ananias and later Barnabas, if it wasn't for these guys and their ministry of you know, reconciliation, Paul may or not have been. You know, if Ananias would have just said, you know what, God? This guy's crazy. <laughs> like, I don't want to. I'm just going to stay here. You know, Paul wouldn't have heard the message. But it is through Ananias going and explaining to him and praying with him that Paul became saved. So we also, like these disciples, like these people in the Bible, we also have a ministry of reconciliation. I know some people are more gifted with that sort of thing. I'm talking to strangers, um, sharing their faith. It's not something that comes easy and naturally to everybody, but it's, it's still our responsibility to share what we've received. Not everybody in the Bible was Peter. 
There was only one Peter. There was only one Paul. Now, not everybody was walking on the water. Not everybody was being starting 15,000 churches everywhere they went. Not everybody was doing that. You know, a lot of times we compare ourselves to one of these and we're like, oh, I'll never be that good. But whatever. Just do what God's called you to do. Don't compare yourself to others. Compare yourself to who God's calling you to be. It doesn't come easy for everybody, um, but it's still our job. It's still our responsibility to share. Um, as we as we tell the story of grace working in our lives, it should bring us. It brings us to a place where. And sorry, as we tell the story, our testimony of how God saved us and reconciled us. Um, you know, we also know that there's others that stand where we once stood, and it's our job to show them. You know, there's. We all have different stories. We all have different backgrounds. Amen. We all come from different places. And there are people that come from the same place that you came from that need to hear your story, that need to hear your testimony. And it's through that that they will be reconciled. The ministry of reconciliation is basically just us leading people to Jesus, reconciling them with God. Um, The gospel is universal. There's never going to be a person that Jesus did not die for. There's nobody that was left out of his provision of salvation. Everybody can be saved. And he gave us the job, the awesome responsibility of leading people to him. 2 Corinthians 5 and 10, again. Paul reminded us us of our responsibility, he said, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And um, the New Living says, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. Knowledge causes us to take the gospel seriously. God's plan is life-changing, and it transforms us. It's our duty and our privilege to perform this ministry. I don't expect every one of us to be out there bringing in 25 new people a week. Well, there's oh, there's somebody that we can reach. There's somebody that we can work with. There's somebody we can teach a Bible study to. Maybe even somebody that comes and they're not, you know, they're not in all the way. Maybe there's people, you know, that are on the edge and they just on the fringe or whatever, and they need somebody to bring them all the way in. You know, there's there's lots of opportunities around. Um, but we are Christ's ambassadors. Um, God has committed unto us the word of reconciliation, or the ministry of reconciliation, Second Corinthians. And sorry. we are chosen to be ambassadors for Jesus, representing the greatest kingdom of all. If there's an ambassador. Um, when we were in Benin, we drove by where all the ambassadors live, which I, I don't know. We probably have them here. I just, I don't know. I never noticed. But um, they would have the little signs out in front of the house, like ambassador from Guatemala and all this stuff. It was pretty cool. Um, but the ambassador would, represents that country where they come from to the place that they're at. 
And if we're Jesus' ambassadors, we represent Him to this world. And it's our job to share Him with the world. Second <clears throat> um, Corinthians 5 and 20 in the New Living says, God is making His appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God. We speak for Him. When we ask people to come. When we witness, when we testify, when we share the gospel, we're speaking on his, his behalf. So it's not something to be taken lightly. It's not something to fool around with. It's something to be taken seriously. Um, <clears throat> before we can share the gospel, we have to experience it. Amen. It's impossible for us to fully share the love of Jesus if we haven't fully experienced right. it. Right. I mean, we can try, we can work, but until we, you know, Really get it. Um, it's hard to tell someone how to receive the Holy Ghost if you've never received it. It's hard to tell someone you know, what it feels like to be baptized, have your sins washed away if you've never done that. Right? So it's something that we have to, to live, to do, or to share. <clears throat> um, reconciliation is the means whereby we can experience righteousness and oneness with God and with His kingdom. And through his blood of sacrifice, we find remission of sins and righteousness of God. Ephesians 2 and 14 says that he is our peace. One more thing. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. It says, come unto me, all the labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly and hard. You shall find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy, easy my burden. It's late. So come to him. He'll give us rest as we work, as we labor. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. It's not a harder thing. I know we sometimes convince ourselves that it's impossible. But it's, uh, it's our job to share it. And what people do with it, that's up to them. Right? Anyways. Does that make sense? I know I've got tongue-tied a lot in the middle there and at the end and at the beginning. <laughs> but Jesus has given us this ministry of reconciliation. Just like he brought us back to him, it's our, if somebody led us, somebody prayed for me, somebody taught me, somebody taught you, somebody prayed for you. So it's our... Um, calling our responsibility, our ministry, to do that for someone else also. Good. Thank you, Jesus. That's the end of that. Thank you. Let's stand.